Good morning. Well, what a story, hey? It's a, um, it's a real, it's one that really kind of, I don't know, sinks into us, I think, when we hear that story of Lazarus. The, this morning we're going to be continuing our series that we've been going through called Northern in the Mirror. And um, so we've got this nice little dressing table over here with the mirror to remind us that that's, uh, that's the series we're in at the moment. And what we're doing is we're looking at the core values of our church, which are deepening spirituality, developing community, and demonstrating compassion. Some of these, um, well, these three core values, some of us will, will, will be very familiar with them. Others of us, it'll be new to you if, you, if you're fairly new to this church. But like any, anything like this, um, these core values, they're like a, um, I think of them like a trellis, you know, like a frame um, for us to grow up on. So just like you, you put a trellis down before you grow tomatoes so that they can grow up, um, we, need, we need some kind of trellis or frame um, as we live into following Jesus and being the church. But if these words, they just, if they just stay as words, even if you memorize them, won't really mean much to us, will it? Um, that's all they'll be, is words. So we want these words to become living words among us, core values that actually speak into our lives and that come alive in us. So each of these core values is kind of like an, an extra bit of the frame. And, and each one calls us to break free from, from the norm, from, from what, um, I guess, from what society kind of dictates for us. And, um, and it calls us into a faithful way of life. Um, and each one is challenging and it needs a bit of discipline. So these values, they don't just automatically grow in us. For example, two weeks ago, we looked at deepening spirituality, which invites us to slow down, to pay attention to God, and to learn how to be responsive to God's promptings. Um, I wonder how you guys are going with, with deepening spirituality. Um, on that week, two weeks ago, I handed out a, um, there was a little sheet called Seven Ways to Pray, um, just in case for some of us we, we get a bit stuck and think, how, how do we pray? Um, I'd love to, to hear from you, maybe not right now, but um, after the service, if that's been helpful to you, I'd love to hear stories about um, what, you've, what you've done. And if you're interested in that, by the way, um, come and see me and I can always print off an extra one for you. Last week, we looked at developing community, which invites us to recognise that we're all connected. And so we, we stop acting as if um, those connections don't matter and instead, we press into them, finding ways to build up, to reach out, to make new connections, and to deepen friendships. And remember, David challenged us last week to spend some quality time with someone in the church community, someone who, who maybe you want to deepen your friendship with. Um, I wonder if anyone's actually taken him up on that yet. Hands up, anybody? Oh, okay, we've got, got one taker. Um, but remember, he gave you two weeks to do it. So next week, I believe he's going to ask. So you don't want there to be this silence, do you? All right. So um, if you, it's really for the benefit of of, of you guys. Um, remember that these core values they have to be things that we live out. So um, so let's let's think of someone that we can um, spend some quality time with this week, deepen that friendship. 
All right. So today we're exploring that third core value, demonstrating compassion. Um, there's a man named Henry Nowen, and uh, he's a Catholic priest. He, he's, he's passed away now. He was around in the 20th century. Um, and he was actually a theological professor and a writer. He's quite highly successful, very well known. And, you know, at the height of his career, he had appointments at Yale and Harvard and, you know, everybody wanted to hear this man speak. Um, and then at the height of his career, he resigned. And what he did was he went to live in this community where he could live with and care for people with severe disabilities. Um, and that community was called Lache Community. It's a, a French name. And he's, he actually stayed there for the rest of his life, saying that in this community of people with severe disabilities, he had found a purpose that had been missing all of his life. So he's a man who knows something about compassion. He, he, he fully went for compassion, even to the point of giving up um, what most of us would think was a, an, an amazingly successful life. This is what he, um, what he says uh, in terms of what, this is how he describes compassion. He says, compassion asks us to go where it hurts, to enter into the places of pain, to share in brokenness, fear, confusion, anguish. Compassion challenges us to cry out with those in misery, to mourn with those who are lonely, to weep with those in tears. Compassion requires us to be weak with the weak, vulnerable with the vulnerable, and powerless with the powerless. Compassion means full immersion in the condition of being human. I wonder what motivates us to be compassionate. Because by society's standards, and by when you, when you hear that um, description of compassion, it sounds pretty daunting, and if we're honest, it sounds a bit unappealing. Um, and yet someone like Henry Nowen gives up everything to pursue a life of compassion and says that it's given him a sense of purpose and fulfilment that he's never had before. On, the, on our uh, dressing table, the, you'll notice that there's the, the heart, which has um, been bound up. It's, 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 being, um, it's, it's a broken heart, which, which is being mended. And that's, our, I guess, our picture today to help us to understand what compassion is. Um, we all have those times where our hearts are broken and, um, and we all have those times where we need them mended. This week, my friend, a good friend of mine, his mum passed away. And um, I got a text message on the Wednesday letting me know. And I, I, I suppose for me, like when I, when I, when I got the message, I, I didn't actually reply straight away. Um, when, when we suffer loss during that time of grief, whatever it is that we've lost, it becomes, becomes the centre of our life at that time. And so when, when you get a message like that, you can't just, you don't want to send something too quick because you have to realise that in this person's life, suddenly there's this giant hole where, where his mum used to be. And for any kind of loss that we suffer, whether it's um, 
a relationship that's ended or a situation that, that's finished. Um, often it's, it's all we think about when, when that um, happens to us and we have that broken heart. So my response to, to my friend was to drive to his house straight after work on that Wednesday. And I must say that as I walked up to his house, I knocked on the door. Well, actually, just before I knocked on the door, I, um, there was a part of me that said, what am I doing here? This guy, he's in a vulnerable position. He's just heard some devastating news. Does he really want to receive a call from me? And to be honest, there's probably another part of me that says, this is going to be a bit heavy. Do I really want to be here? Um, because most of the time, we, we do try to protect ourselves. Um, we don't let our hearts break for others. We, we avoid pain. We avoid sharing our pain. And we avoid meeting others in their pain. Um, even though, more often than not, such places, I reckon they're the most real and honest places to be. Because when things fall apart and people come to you, in that time and allow you to grieve with them, to me that's one of the most holy places that there is. When we reveal our broken hearts to each other and we just sit there in the struggle. So yes, I, I did knock on the door, even if there was, was a few hesitations. And, um, and when the door was opened, um, he was there with his wife and his son. And yet there was a little bit of awkwardness about me being there. Un, um, without having having called or, or asked if I could come around. But what I did was I just walked up to my friend and I just gave him a hug. And I reckon there was more said in that hug than anything that I could have said. Because there's often not, not much we can say. But just being there reminds the sufferer that they're not alone in this. And, um, and it encourages them that their heart will, will recover. Um, but more than anything, it's just being there. We embrace compassion only when we realise, I reckon, that a broken heart is not the end. It's not the end of anything. In fact, it's the beginning of something good, something new. Um, when our heart is broken, we have the encouragement of friends to work it through. There's, there's this sense of um, God's at work here. God can do something in this space. This is a new beginning. And that's why I think people like Henry Nowen um, choose to go into that space because they, they have hope that God is doing something new. Because really the dead end happens when we avoid our pain, when we think it'll just go away, so we sweep it under the rug. Um, because when we do that, it's in there somewhere. And we're in danger of letting bitterness in, um, where our whole life becomes stuck in what we don't have and we lose out on what we do have. The truth is that for me, it wasn't hard for me to know what to do with my friend um, this week because nine years ago, I was that guy. Um, my mum passed away nine years ago and um, I was... My mum died quite young, um, and so she was only in her early 60s. And the thing that I found really difficult um, through that time was that my closest friends, they just, didn't, they just didn't get it. 
they just didn't get how to, um, you know, ha- how to be there for me. And they probably were a bit too scared because they thought they didn't know what to do. So they just kept their distance. And, and so for me, I, I had to go through a time of grief um, and I had my family, thank goodness, but I was very alone in that time of grief and, and it was very alienating and it doesn't need to be. If, if, we have, if we're people of compassion and we have um, the confidence to, to share in those times of hardship, then we, we are trusting that God is in those spaces and we are able to bring hope to, to our friends. So my hope for us this morning is that our church may be a community where rather than hiding from suffering and hardship, sweeping it under the carpet into our, you know, within ourselves, that we are able to compassionately stand firm together. Does that sound like a good hope to have? Yeah. Um, we, we have really, I think we have a lot of confidence not to be overwhelmed because when I've had these sorts of conversations before, often people will say, oh, but there's too much, there's too much suffering, there's too much pain, and I just want to kind of hide from it or I want to keep myself safe from it. Um, to me, the thing that gives me confidence, it's not just naivety or, you know, blind goodness or something, but it's the fact that God is compassionate, okay? So God, in all of his freedom, God creates the world, creates us. God is free, right? There's nothing that God has to do. But in his divine freedom, he chooses to meet with us in our suffering. How amazing is that? Complete choice to do whatever God wants. He cares so much that he, that he, will, he, he comes to us. So as we read in, in the Bible, um, from the very first you know, chapters, we see that God doesn't give up on us. Um, he's always there where it hurts. He shares in our struggle, weeps with us, stands with the vulnerable and the weak. In the Old Testament, we, we begin as it begins, you, you get the story of Israel unfolding. And from the very start, there's this sense that their very existence depends on God's solidarity with them in their struggle. And they find themselves in Egypt and they're slaves to the Egyptians. And their situation is, is horrible and seems impossibly hopeless. And uh, God meets with Moses and asks Moses to, to be the leader to come and deliver, um, deliver them from Egypt, deliver his people from Egypt. This is what God says to Moses. I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. And indeed, that's what God does. He orchestrates this wonderful event, saving Israel from Egypt, bringing them out, and they, um, they stand in the wilderness under this mountain and Moses goes up to see God. And so they've, they've had this wonderful moment of recognising God is there for them 
God is compassionate for them and he's and is a saving God. And in that time, there's a there's some really um kind of unusual um moments where Moses is speaking with God, and Moses gets quite bold and he says, God, can you show me your glory? It's like, God, you're pretty mysterious. Can you just give me a bit of a picture of who you are? And God says, well, I couldn't come and stand in front of you because no one can live and do that. But if you hide in this little cleft in this rock, I'll, I'll kind of go past and show you my back, right? Sounds pretty unusual, but that's, that's what it says. And then um, this is what happens. So rather than describing God's back, um, God passes before Moses and there's a description in the scripture um, of, of God. So here it is. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, and he called out his name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. What a beautiful description of God. The Hebrew word for compassion is riham. I don't know if I'm saying it right because I'm not a Hebrew scholar. but um, and, and actually the root word from which it comes is rehem, right? So pretty similar, riham, rehem. And rehem means womb, like a, a mother's womb. Um, to me, the image that I get from this is that when God compassionately meets with you in your brokenness, you are kind of metaphorically being carried in God's womb. In God's womb of compassion, the suffering ones are protected, nurtured, and given what is good for them. It's a beautiful picture to me of of what compassion means. And uh, even though there's no scriptures about God having a womb, um, there's there's Psalm 103.13, which says, The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. So there's that sense of parental holding and and protecting um, and nurturing. Only such a God would come to us as one of us and would share in the struggles of life that we struggle with. And so Jesus comes to be with us. And uh, the Father says of Jesus, This is my Son, marked by my love, focus of my delight. Listen to him. So today we want to listen to Jesus. And um, in our story, in the gospel story that we've heard read by Leah, um, God's compassion is again revealed to us as powerful to restore. So while we might sometimes feel powerless to restore when things have happened that, are, that can't be undone, we, we can trust that God in his compassion is powerful to restore. So Jesus gets the news that his friend Lazarus, brother to Mary and Martha, who are also good friends of Jesus, are very sick, is that he's very sick. But by the time he gets to Bethany, Lazarus is already dead and buried. Four days. And so Jesus enters into this village, and it's a village in grief. Notice how um, the people of Jesus' day didn't hide, didn't hide their suffering like we often do, but they were sharing very much in it. 
And um, as Jesus walks into Bethany, he's met first um, by Martha and then secondly by Mary. And both of them have this, you can just, they had, they had this hope that Jesus would come and would save Lazarus. If only you had been here, they say, he wouldn't have died. And uh, when Jesus gets to, to that moment where he, where he asks, where, where is Lazarus being, being laid? Um, and he's all around him is just is the wailing of, the, of, of the, the villages. There's Mary and Martha and the family. There's the tomb. And it says Jesus is deeply moved in his spirit. Deep down he connects with this mess around him. And then there's these two words that I just think it's. I think it's. I always remember um, when I was a kid reading the Bible, thinking this is the shortest verse, so it's the easiest one to memorize. And yet it's so powerful. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. He feels all of this pain and loss, and he enters into it, and he lets the full force of this moment hit him. May you today realize that Jesus weeps with you. May you realize that his compassionate love has the power to restore and to make new. We see just how powerful God's compassion is for us, ultimately at the cross. While Jesus was condemned and murdered on the cross, those who believe don't just see a weak man being killed. We see God in all his power, even there, pouring his compassionate love for people in full force. So Jesus' compassion for us leads him to the cross and it still pours out for all humanity, even while we're doing our worst to, to kill him. And instead of this of the of this compassionate love being broken it actually overwhelms the power of death and evil and we we hear of Jesus resurrection he rises victorious and to me when i when i hear this surprising story just as i hear the surprising story of lazarus's resurrection i recognize that this compassion this love of god is stronger than anything else and if I, if I keep close to it and if I live with Jesus, live this, then, then I have nothing to fear because I know that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He says to Martha, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? The early church, I think, did believe that. They could demonstrate compassion because they believed that Jesus' love, Jesus' compassion could not be could not be broken by no matter what anyone flung at you. So they hoped in the day when God would finally restore all things in heaven on earth. Everything made right. I find great hope in that in the midst of of my struggles and when I'm sharing in other people's struggles to, to know that ultimately God will finally restore all things in heaven and on earth. 
So every word of encouragement, every act of compassion reminds us, reminds those who are in pain that they will recover, that we will be restored. Psalm 71.20 becomes our prayer when we take on compassion, when we learn to demonstrate compassion. This is the prayer. It's, though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will again bring me up. I just want to close with um, with a, a, a short story. Um, and it's, it's about a man named Leon, again, I don't know if I'm saying this right, Leon Gecko, Gecko, okay? And uh, he's an Argentinian musician. Um, he's still alive today. I think he's in his 60s now. And he grew up in Argentina in a time that was just horrendous and traumatic. Um, there was many political upheavals through the 60s and 70s into the early 80s. And various oppressive military governments um, took over and they oppressed the people. And um, human rights groups often estimate that over 30,000 people were disappeared, which means arrested, tortured, secretly executed without trial um, over that time. And so Leon Gecko, as a young man, um, he became, uh, he was a musician and he was in his lounge room and he was just feeling the pain of, of his country, of his, of his people. And he, he penned a song and the song was called Solo le pido adios. Okay. Which means all I ask of you, God. And basically the song was, um, just says over and over again, all I ask of you, God, is that I don't become indifferent. Indifferent to the suffering, indifferent to the injustice, indifferent to, um, to the cruelty. Because, see, the opposite of compassion isn't, isn't cruelty or being mean. It's just indifference. It's apathy. It's not caring. So you can be a kind, gentle person, but if you, you're not compassionate unless you, you really care because there is a lot of indifference and apathy around. Um, this song that Leon wrote, it actually, he, he was a bit, he thought it might be a bit boring, <laughs> but his dad heard him sing it and said, that will become worldwide known because that is just like, it just really touched his dad's heart. And, um, and sure enough, that song, it brought the, the, his whole nation together. And for his entire career, the last song of, of every concert is that song. And it's, it's been um, uh, covered by all sorts of groups, even you too. <laughs> How about that? So um, the song brought the nation together because they recognised in the song, when we become indifferent, when we think nothing can change, um, we, we've already lost. But when God in all of his freedom reaches out to us and reminds us that restoration is right at your door knocking, that's when, when we can stand together, stand firm and, and, ho- and hope. As people of, of God, we are called to compassion. Not because we can change the world, 
but because we know that Jesus Christ, through his life, death, and resurrection, has already changed the world. God is here, and God will restore. Um, my, my last sort of word to you is from 1 John. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. So when we extend compassion to each other, then we shouldn't be surprised if people see Christ in us and if they're not deeply attracted to Jesus in us. And maybe they would want to join in um, in what we are doing and join the story that we are a part of. I just invite you now uh, to, to grab your response card and you'll notice that during this series we've got a little um, fuel gauge at the top of the response section and what I'd like you to, to do is just think a little bit about demonstrating compassion and how I've described compassion today. And, you know, it's not about making you feel bad or, or guilty if you're feeling like, oh, I'm not a compassionate person. But I just want you to, I guess, put, put a little dial there um, for where you reckon you, you're at in terms of demonstrating compassion. Um, are, you, are you someone who's just bursting wanting to go out, out the door and, and, and look for people who are struggling so that you can support them? If so, then that, maybe that's, you put yourself as full. If you're so full of um, your own struggles that you just think, oh, I can't care for anyone, um, then maybe that's empty. And you could um, put yourself somewhere. Just a good way of, of uh, I guess, determining where you think you're at um, in this, uh, this core value of ours. And I've got some, um, some questions that I just want you to consider. Um, so the first one is, are there hurts that I'm holding on to which prevent me from reaching out in compassion to others? What will I do about it? Who could I tell? So maybe you, you feel like that's holding, something holding you back. The next one is, what fears prevent me from stepping out in compassion? How can I push past that? Who can help me? And then third one, who do I know that needs my care today? What can I do to show them they are not alone in their struggle? Um, so I really do encourage you, because we are trying to make this a practical series, and it's easy for us to go, oh, thanks, that's really given me some food for thought, but not actually act on it. And I, I, I encourage you um, to, to think deeply about that third question. Who, who do I want to, who, who could I actually show some compassion for? And um, I encourage you to, to make a decision to um, give them a call or, or somehow get in touch with them this week. All right, so I'm going to leave you just for a few minutes. There'll be a song playing and um, you can spend some time responding. Thanks.